Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will smart food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three stakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Talk about how the Oilers are doing, so. <laughs> <laughs> no one asked how the Flyers are doing either. <laughs> Welcome to Checking Out the Competition, Edmonton Oilers. This time we are joined by Shona from Copper and Blue. Shona, how are you doing? I'm all right. How are you doing, Kelly? Great. Thank you. Um, So just to catch everybody up, if you don't remember these kinds of facts, the Flyers played the Oilers back in October, October 27th to be precise. The Flyers won 5-3. It was back before all of their lives fell apart and the Flyers turned to garbage. Um... It was back when things were still a little bit fun. Nate Thompson scored a goal, which is wild. Cam Atkinson had two in that game. Um, and now, you know, things are a little bit different for the Flyers. Shona, what has been going on with the Oilers since October? Well, um, for people who don't follow the Oilers, they were really quite good. And then they were really quite awful. And then they were sort of okay. And then they fired their coach. And now we think they may be okay again. So... You know, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> They've been busy too, you know, making everybody's lives miserable. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, so you mentioned kind of the up and down and just kind of glancing at Copper and Blue this morning in preparation for this. A lot of talk of um, Mike Smith, who I guess came back pretty recently from a hand injury. Um, and Mike Smith has always kind of been a guy that I think is a bit of a question mark in goal, no matter what team he's been on. Um, How's Mike Smith been for the Oilers? Is he, is he the reason for the up and down or is it deeper than that? Uh, It's deeper than that. Cause Mike Smith, if, if you look at his stats, he's only played 14 games this season. He's been out for more of it than he's been in. Um, Cause you know, there was an injury, he played a game and then he was injured and then was out for like two months. But Mike Smith has definitely not helped. Um, the Oilers. Mike Smith's kind of symptomatic of the issue of the Oilers in a lot of cases in that um, for whatever reason he has a two-year contract with the Oilers um, and it was uh, provided at a time where he came off a, a really good season you know all credit to Mike Smith last year he was really quite good in goal but this year he's garbage so you know um, it's quite uh, symptomatic of some of the Oilers problems where someone goes on an amazing run and they sign them for maybe more money than they should or longer than they should. And then they're stuck with contracts. You know, this is an oiler, like a perennial Oilers problem. We've signed some guy that we thought would be good and was good last year and now sucks. Um, Mike Smith kind of encapsulates that because nobody could have figured out that a 39-year-old goalie might regress. So, 
Yeah, I mean, you kind of have to admire a guy that's 41 and is still playing goal in the NHL. But also, you kind of have to wonder why you would ask a man that's 41 years old to be... He's only 39, Kelly. He's only 39. 41 at the end of this contract. Ah! See, I know I no longer like Mike Smith as much as I thought I did. I thought he's 39. Okay. He's number 41. He is number 41. Maybe that's where my brain was. I thought he was 40. Never mind. It's not important. Soon. Soon. Yeah. So, I mean, like what we were talking before we started with these podcasts, I usually ask like, you know, hey, who's who's really good for the the team this year? Just, you know, kind of get people prepared for what to expect. It's not really a hard question for the Oilers. Obviously, you guys have two of the best players in the entire world and Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Um, And behind them, at least on the offense, you know, a lot of good players. Like, it's not on paper. This looks like a team, at least up front, that should be pretty dominant. Um, And right now, the Oilers are right outside of a playoff spot, right outside of a wild card spot. Um, So not in the playoffs at the moment. Obviously, it doesn't matter right now. Um, But from the outside looking in, it's just weird that Edmonton at this yeah. point isn't like a perennial cup favorite. What? But that's that's kind of like the Edmonton Oilers special. They it somehow is. always manage to make themselves less than the sum of their parts. Yeah. So you look at them on paper and you're like, oh, you know, generational player. Oh, player that, you know, could, you know, in any given year in Leon Dreisaitl will be considered one of the best players in the league. And, you know, you know, people who are winning all these awards. Um, you know, great young talent in Evan Mouchard and Stuart Skinner, who's been up and down out of Bakersfield and the goalie. We need one of those, um, you know, and Kyler Yamamoto and all these these players that are really quite. You think on paper, the Oilers should be able to, like, turn into something, but it's always been the Oilers specialty to kind of. Just fizzle, you know, never get the, the pieces together in a way that clicks and. You know, we saw that um, as, you know, people who follow the Oilers, like Zach Hyman started really well this year when he came to the Oilers, really, really well. And then they shuffled him into a different place in the the roster and he struggled for a bit. Or um, even more obvious, Derek Ryan, who was, uh, you know, fourth liner, bottom six guy that they picked up um, under Dave Tippett, who they fired um, earlier, like in February. getting nothing done and you know getting scratched for people like Devin Shore and they changed the coach and suddenly he's had like four goals in the last two games including his first ever NHL hat trick so somehow the Oilers you know have the ability to look fantastic on paper and then not actualize that it's a really annoying special skill to be honest I gotta tell you as annoying as it as it is to be a Flyers fan in my mind Having Connor McDavid and not having your team be a perennial cup frame, I think it might make me a little bit crazier. Well, I mean, have you ever been to the Copper and Blue Twitter where they yell about how you're in the seventh year of the Connor McDavid era and you still <laughs> haven't been to the playoffs more than once and you still haven't done, um, you haven't won more th- or twice in, sorry, twice in the Connor McDavid era and you've only won one playoff series in the entirety of the seven years of the Connor McDavid era so far? <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> makes us a little nuts. <laughs> you guys are having a great time. So the new coach, Jay Woodcroft, um, he was the AHL coach, right? Yeah, he came up from the Bakersfield Condors. Um, has he made any like appreciable changes to the way the team plays? Any big lineup changes or have things kind of just continued? Because it's only been like uh, three weeks since he took over. Oh, he he's definitely made some changes to the lineup. Um, for whatever reason, Tippett had uh, a great love of veteran players that see Mike Smith. Um, so <laughs> players like Devin Shore and that, and, you know, very much of a, well, we can't trust the rookies, you know, or he would, um, it would be often a point of contention between various factions, Oilers fans, where, you know, a rookie would make a mistake and then get benched, but you'd see a, a, a veteran make a similar mistake. Tyson Berry comes to mind and get more playing time. Um, so some of that has kind of leveled out. We've also seen a huge difference in the deployment of McDavid and Dreisaitl since Woodcroft came. So, you know, they're not playing 28 or 30 minutes in a night um, down to more respectable, like 20. And it's not great, but it's not the, the end of the world, right? Which yeah. under Tippett, you had very much like, if you were very lucky, you could have two lines that ran because McDavid and Dreisaitl would be on separate lines. But if you had any problems, you would have one line and it would have McDavid and Dreisaitl and someone else on it. So, uh, you know, those kind of just different deployments of, of players and the use of different players, like, um, you know, some of the younger guys are getting a lot more ice time, a lot more opportunity. Um, Benson, Tyler Benson comes to mind as one of those. Um, it's certainly been interesting. The other thing he's done that's different than Tippett is he, uh, we've gone into a lot of games with 11 forward and seven defenders. Yeah, so, I actually uh, looking at um, cap friendly this morning. Yeah, that's interesting. he really likes going into games with 11 forwards and seven defenders. So I guess we'll see how uh, how sustainable that is. But it's been working so far pretty okay. So I'm gonna you know continue to let him try it. <laughs> So I guess the biggest thing that the Oilers did uh, prior to that whole fire the coaching thing um, was they were the team that decided to take a swing on Evander Kane and see if he could perhaps mold himself into a respectable hockey player and possibly human being, although the latter probably not. Um, has that Has that signing been worth it? Do you think that he's been contributing enough on the ice to kind of overshadow the huge amount of baggage that comes with him. Uh, let me preface this by saying that I don't think that there is a particular way he could ever contribute enough on the ice to overshadow the huge amount of just everything he brings outside of that. Um, so my answer is no. But, um, you know, just if you look at Kane's points production, it's not there either, right? You know, he he has, I think, a couple goals with the Oilers since he came. But again, you know, you're still if he was if you were bringing in to set, one of those against was against the Montreal Canadiens, like for, never mind. Um, you know, if you're bringing him in to to kind of diffuse um, your offensive abilities he's not getting it done and you're also playing him 
on lines with people who get it done way better and make David or Dreisaitl or even Hyman or, you know, Nugent Hopkins when he's not injured, right? So, no, I, I think points production-wise, it's not there. I think um, the amount of just crap um, that this signals to, like, large percentages of a, a fan base you're trying to grow if you're a smart team is is not worth it. And, and you know, they put him on a no-movement contract, so they're stuck with him. So, you know, if yeah. he's... If he continues to suck and you want to free up some cap space, well, suck in, you know, in relative terms. Because, you know, he's still going to be way better than I ever will be. But um, you don't have that option. Right? right. You can't send him down. You can't trade him unless he wants the trade. So you can scratch him. But the Oilers are a very cap, very, very cap tight team, and they can't afford to be sitting on, you know, a ridiculous amount of cap just sitting. They've already got it, different pieces of cap sitting that they're doing nothing with, right? So overall, I don't think, um, I don't think that it, I don't think that it worked out quite the way that they wanted it to. They were hoping for far more, uh, far more points production because I think hold on let me look this up makes me feel slightly dirty um I feel like he's always one of those players that has never been quite as good as his reputation among like old school hockey men yeah so he's got like he has 10 points in 14 games with the Oilers which isn't bad but you know if you look at who he's playing with it's McDavid and Dreisaitl and we've had tons the Oilers have had tons and tons of players that go really well with those two um but yeah like you said for whatever reason people like him you know the Oilers Twitter will be like well he brings grit or he brings um, you know heart or whatever and and um it's always interesting to me because Evander Kane has a long history of being characterized as a problem in the room um, and the Oilers are a relatively young team, so right. uh, that was that was just an, an interesting, you know, they when they moved Taylor Hall out some years ago in one of their most spectacularly Oilersy moves ever, um, it was because he was considered, you know, the rationale was partly that he was considered a problem in their room. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, now you've got a younger team that hasn't had any measure of success for longer. It's time you want a guy who's considered a problem in the room. Well, you know, Oilers fans would have been a lot happier if you just gone and got them Taylor Hall over the offseason or at the trade deadline last year like they asked for. Right? So, yeah. I, I guess it's like, I think this is kind of the last broad overarching question I'll ask you. But it's one of those things, like I like doing these podcasts because there's always something about the other team and the Flyers that ends up being like extremely parallel, which amuses me. Um, And with these two teams, I feel like it's a real belief among the fan base that the problem with the organization goes all the way to the tippy top. Like Flyers fans at this point have decided that unless Comcast Spectacor sells the hockey team to someone else, the team will never be good. It will never turn around as long as this particular corporation owns the team. I think that's a little bit silly, but that's where the fan base is. And I feel like with Edmonton, you hear a lot about that too. Like unless Cats 
Daryl Katz, right? Unless he's okay, yeah. Yeah, unless he sells the team. Like he's the problem. So unless he's gone, the Oilers are always going to be mired in this kind of weird underachieving, wasting the best player in the league situation that they've been in for the last seven years. Do you buy that or do you think that this is an organization that can find its way out of the mess that it's put itself in? I buy it to a certain extent because uh, Kate's bought the Oilers, you know, and he's done a lot of things with them, some good, some bad. But as an owner, he's not a corporation. Like as an individual, I'm sure he bought them as a corporation, but as an individual face, you know, he has been very okay with the team being incredibly mediocre as long as the revenue stream stays there, right? So um, there's another section of Oilers fans that are really quite hopeful um, that if they miss the playoffs this year, which is, you know, kind of currently where they're they're in that in-out, in-out kind of cycle around wildcard spots, um, that there'll be a big change in not maybe ownership, but in a lot of their hockey operations side. Um, but it comes down to the fact that, you know, Daryl Cates really, I'm sure he really loves hockey, but he really loves picking guys with, you know, names from, you know, you know, oh, for lack of a better term, old hockey men, right? Like we've had Gretzky and Gretzky's brother run this organization. We've had, you know, you know, a whole bunch of GMs like they when they hired Holland, um, the other the other pe- one of the other people who made it to that last stage of interviews is the guy down in Florida right now. Well, one of their teams is turned around and one of their teams is in a worse place. And you entirely picked Holland because he had a pedigree in hockey that the other guy didn't. You know, he was the coach of the or he was the GM of the Detroit Red Wings for however many years. And no one stopped to think that the Detroit Red Wings were in a far worse spot than they were, you know. Mm-hmm. You know? So, like, I think there's a certain amount of sense to it that if there's not, I think Daryl Cates could turn it around, but the pressure that needs to be taken or needs to be put on him financially is way more than it would have to be maybe if it was someone else who was more invested in the team's on-ice success instead of just the team's success financially. Because it's still, as weird as it seems, having been to the playoffs like once in the last 10 years, or twice, I guess, twice in the last 10 years now, um, and won one series, it's still a profitable franchise, right? Right. So uh, if we made less, if he made less money, he would care more or he would, he would focus more on what he needs to fix. And uh, you might see like Bob Nicholson being done and, um, you know, uh, Ken Holland makes a ridiculous amount of money. He's the most highly paid front Oilers fact. Ken Holland is the highest paid GM in the entire league. Is that right? He makes $5 million a year. That's wild. Still can't make a team with Connor McDavid get past the first round of the playoffs. God. So yeah, there's there's yeah. there's a certain amount of uh, I think accuracy in that something in the minds maybe the owner doesn't need to change, but maybe something in the mindset of the owner needs to change. Right. So I don't know if you can do that with a giant corporation though. I don't know either. I, I don't know. I mean, in, in my I guess it's different when you do have like where it's just a guy like you guys have, it's a little bit different. I mean, we have, you know, a guy, Dave Scott, 
that is the guy employed by the corporation that is in charge of this part of it. Um, so he's like the guy, but at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's a, a wing of a giant cable corporation that owns like a million different things. And one of the million things they own is the Philadelphia Flyers. So I don't really know how much of a difference it makes who owns them or who doesn't. Um, but it's probably a little bit different when you have just, you know, a guy doing. Yeah, all I'm sure our guy owns them in his, you know, portfolio of businesses. But oh, yeah, yeah, they're just and for him. It seems very much that's the problem is they're very much just like another business is the bottom line. Good. OK, then it must be OK. Well, the hockey is not good. Do you so. think that they will ever? Because um, in my mind, it's hard for me to imagine a Canadian franchise ever like fully losing a fan base. But then, you know, Ottawa. But then I know that there was a whole thing with Ottawa where like no one likes where the stadium is and it's like a big pain to get there and that's why no one goes to games and also they stink. But I I went to one Edmonton Oilers game in Edmonton. It was, I think, Connor McDavid's first or second year and the place was obviously packed. Um, but it, it didn't it didn't strike me as, you know, a team on the edge of losing enough of its fans that, you know, the no. would notice that something is wrong. And I'm kind of guessing that that's probably not going to happen with the Edmonton well, Oilers base. The, the Oilers will never, knock on wood, the Oilers will never uh, cripple their fan base so much. You know, we've had a lot of uh, nonsense not to be, you know, but around vaccines and requirements for vaccines and people getting, you know, very political about whether or not they'd keep their hockey tickets, et cetera. But the Oilers fan base is, you know, I'm going to be honest, if the fact that you didn't make the playoffs for a decade, you know, that, you know, for Oilers fans, colloquially called the decade of darkness, you know, from 2006 to 2017, you're not going to, be able to just lose them like we would have done that already like how many first overalls have we had in the last decade a lot right so no i don't think that the oilers fan base itself will diminish the the uh the thing that people are kind of counting on is that as as strong as the oilers fan base is in the regular season the oilers fan base is an entirely different beast in the playoffs right so the amount of money that the playoffs generate in an Oilers fan base, um, I think 2017, the last time they played with fans in the playoffs, they didn't just sell the arena. They sold tickets to stand on the concourses of the arena to watch on screens, and they sold tickets to watch or to stand in the entranceway to the stadium, not even in the stadium, and watch on a screen. Wow. Right? So... You know, these aren't even, they're selling tickets for things you won't even actually be allowed to go watch on the ice, but they could still sell tickets to those things. So that's the kind of revenue when we talk about, you know, missing the playoffs hurts Daryl Cates and his revenue stream. It's that kind of revenue. Mm. You know, they, they'll do an entirely different line of merchandise for the playoffs and it'll sell. Like the year that we went to the playoffs last time when there were fans in the stands, we introduced the orange jersey that year. And like, you'd see games on TV and like three quarters of the arena would be wearing orange jerseys, right? 
they weren't giveaways. Mm-hmm. They were all purchased, you know. The season seat holders got one, but season seat holders are already paying for, like, you know, oh, ridiculous amounts of money. Um, so I think that that's what they're counting on. Not that they'll lose their fan base, but that there's this giant pot of revenue just out of reach if you don't make the playoffs, right? Yeah, makes sense. So, so getting, I guess, more specifically into this upcoming game, what would you say is, I guess, the weakest or most exploitable part of the Oilers game right now that the Flyers might be able to take advantage of? Uh, Flyers fans should be familiar with this, goaltending. <laughs> uh, right now, <laughs> I'll take my shots where I can take my shots. Um, the the goalies for the Oilers are right now are Koskinen and Smith, and I don't see that changing on this road trip because they're not going to, you know, just I think two games left on the Flyers are the last game or whatever. So they're not going to pull a goalie from the AHL for that. Um, but Koskinen and Smith um, can both be lights-out goalies or, like, the worst ever, right? Um, so if I think about the Minnesota game that they played a couple weeks ago, I think Koskinen came in after Smith let in four goals on seven shots, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a truly wondrous performance. Um, so, you know, you've got – and then they lost, like, seven to three or something in that game. So um, – You've got goalies that can either keep you in the game, like they did against Florida and Tampa on this road trip, or can completely cost you the game, and you don't actually know what you're going to get. I mean, this is shored up by the fact that the Oilers' defense isn't um, isn't good enough to compensate for that, right? So mm-hmm. uh, you don't have an amazing Carolina-like defense that can compensate for a goalie having a really off night. So goaltending especially if you talk to Edmonton fans right now is our biggest uh, area of concern so so I'm seeing the Oilers are coming off a two to one loss to Carolina on Sunday um and Mike Smith played in that one does that mean anything as far as what goaltender the Flyers will see have they been doing any kind of like flip-flopping or going with one guy in particular uh well it's hard to tell. Um, before we switched coaches, I probably would have told you you were going to see Mike Smith no matter how awful he was because continuing to play Mike Smith is literally the straw that broke the camel's back and got to get fired. But um, they've been flip-flopping pretty uh, pretty regularly. Um, you know, Koskinen played in uh, Florida or yeah, Koskinen played in Florida, but Smith had played in Tampa, and then Smith was back in for Carolina. So, you know, it seems to have been like a switch each year or each game for a different goalie. I mean, they could theoretically ride the hot hand and try Mike Smith again, you know. Might make it easier on the Flyers if they did. <laughs> but your guess is as good as mine, because... <laughs> <laughs> and... um. I know Ryan Nugent Hopkins was out for that game on Sunday. Is there any chance he gets back in? Uh, I was looking this morning and he is listed as uh, 
out for this week with a shoulder injury, so no oh. chance you see Ryder Nugent Hopkins. You and might no- see Kyler Yamamoto. Apparently, he's okay. traveling down to meet the team. Also, Duncan Keith. I'm sure one of those is more thrilling to you than the other. Oh. <laughs> As it should be. Yeah. So, the Oilers media this morning were saying Duncan Keith might play in Philadelphia, which, yay. <laughs> so, but, uh, it would be interesting to see what that would do to the Oilers' defense because they'll shuffle them all around to incorporate Keith, whereas Yamamoto's a forward, mm-hmm. and you know he's probably going back to either the, the second or the third line. So, In your mind, would Keith coming back into the lineup and them shuffling around the defense hurt? Like, have any of the defensive pairs been particularly good? or? Is well, it- I don't know if anyone's been particularly good. Keith's had... The same problem as Mike Smith, in that he can either be decent or phenomenally bad. And I'm not sure that I want to test that on um, coming off an injury at 37 years old. Right. So yeah. uh, I would kind of like it not to be Duncan Keith, just because there's not a lot. He hasn't had an amazing season, he's had a couple good games. And he's had more than a couple really awful games. So this would be his first game under the new coach. Mm. And I'm just like, uh, maybe not. Maybe don't. (laughs) (laughs) Your defense is barely hanging together. Maybe don't, like, move it around. You got a 37-year-old Duncan Keith coming off a concussion minutes. You got to get him minutes, right? (laughs) No. How can you keep that out of the lineup? <laughs> Why are we paying $5.5 million for that, Kelly? Because uh, NHL GMs are crazy. Um, Why am I paying $5 million for the guy who thinks they're going to be paying $5.5 million for <laughs> Uh Is there anybody outside of the obvious uh, generational talents that is playing exceptionally well that we should keep an eye on? Uh, Derek Ryan. Like I said, he got his first ever hat trick down in Florida. Another goal against Carolina. So, very much a kind of um, third or fourth line grinder type player. Came up through the Canadian University system, played in Europe. Came back, played in the AHL, played in the NHL. Right? So, definitely a really cool story. So, The Flyers Flyers have a, a few of those guys too. Like the only players... Currently producing for the Flyers are bottom six players. Well, Connor McDavid also still scored a goal, so we're going to give it a little bit more variety over here in Oilers land. I'm just regarding your top six. I don't want to talk about them. You're just jealous of my top six. I'm terrified to see what Connor McDavid is going to do to the current version of the Flyers defense. Like, literally afraid. You'll if you watch this game, I think you'll be alarmed by just how often the Flyers are standing perfectly still for some reason. So that combined with Connor McDavid flying around like a a superhuman hockey robot, like it's just you don't want the New York Rangers and the Winnipeg Jets treatment. What? <laughs> I'm I'm bracing myself for those kinds of like <laughs> highlight reel Connor McDavid walks seven guys on the ice to get down and score a goal. So, yeah, it, it could happen. 
It could. I mean, at least it'll be a highlight. That's true. If the Flyers are going to lose, they might as well do so. We talked about this. Fashion. The commitment is to do things in a big way. Right. Exactly. So give me give me a few Connor McDavid highlight reel goals. I'll take it. The last thing I'll ask you, um, as we wrap up here, is for a shot in the dark prediction on a final score for this game. I really wish Philadelphia wasn't so awful right now. Oh, hey, same. Because, like, uh, I like picking them. They're, um, for teams that go, like, they're, or that I go actually follow, they're my team, actually more than the Oilers, so I really wish they weren't so shit. Because um, I'd like to be able to pick them, but I can't. So I'm going to go with uh, 5-1 for the Oilers. Because if anyone's had more difficulty with goaltending than Edmonton, Philadelphia lately. So... You guys have had some massive score, massively unbalanced score lines. The uh, yeah. the sickest part of this season is actually that the goaltending hasn't been that bad. No, and that's uh, awful. That's horrible. Everything else in front of it has been an absolute disaster. So it's it's been a real party out here. Um, I'm also picking the Oilers to win this game. The Flyers won their last game. Uh, unbelievably for me. Anyway, I didn't think that was going to happen. Um, and I can't imagine them stringing together two wins in a row. That seems crazy to me. I can't remember the last time that happened. So I'm going to say, I'm going to be a little bit more generous though. And I'm going to say three to one Edmonton. Actually, no, I'm taking it back four to two Edmonton. I'm thinking maybe the Flyers can get a couple in on one of your goaltenders. Probably they can. Yeah. <laughs> Alternately, my goaltenders, the Edmonton goaltenders will be like, none for you today. It's either going to be one or the other. <laughs> I mean, given the way the flyer season is going, you know, it could be Mike Smith's shutout time tomorrow. I was uh, going to say, I cannot tell you what type of goalie I'm, we, we're going to provide for you to play. It could be a fantastic one. It could be a shit awful one. <laughs> There's definitely going to be a lot of question marks, which is always fun for us as hockey fans. Shona, thank you very much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Um, where can people find you on the internet if you would like them to find you? Uh, I suppose they can generally find me on the Twitters. Um, hang out around there a little bit. I'm not on the internet a lot. Uh, that sounds so blessed. my well, I'm in, uh, my real life world is a social worker. So uh, it is not, in fact, blissful. It is just busy. Um, if you want to find me on the internet, you can find me at... Uh, Twitter, what is it? At FVH0809 um, is generally how people can easily track me down, or you can find me in the copper and blue masthead. Either which way works. <laughs> yes, as always, go on over to the copper and blue if you want to learn a little bit about the Edmonton Oilers ahead of this game. Show and I really appreciate it. I hope, if nothing else, we get an entertaining hockey game out of this one. Hope you enjoy the game. Hope everyone listening enjoys the game. Go Flyers. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's 
magical. It's 2023 and you're still looking for a baseball podcast? What's up, party people? Danny Vietti here from the Wake and Rake podcast. Yes, I know the name of our show, Freaking Rocks. Join World Series champion Will Middlebrooks and I as we banter about the best of the best from Major League Baseball, including power rankings. One of the best players of all time. Headlines. Solidifies a dynasty. And special guests. Reese Hoskins. Stroh showed. Jose Trevino. Listen and or watch every episode of the Wake and Rake podcast, available on all your favorite listening platforms and the all-new Believe Sports channel.